Ted was an ordinary guy. He, uh, he probably would have fit in just about anywhere, really. He was a, a mail carrier in Dallas, Texas. He was buying his rounds as he was passing out the mail, and he found his way into Marco's di- uh, diner. And as he walked in that day, he walked in and no one looked at him. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you walk into someone uh, somewhere and you're not even acknowledged, but this particular day at Marco's, no one noticed him. And so he walks over, and behind the counter is a, a tiny lady, not even five foot tall, blonde hair, big blue eyes. And he sat down in front of her, and she didn't even look up. She just was writing down, and finally said, whatever you're writing down must be really important. And she startled, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even notice you were there. I apologize. I'm just really into writing this poem I'm writing. He said, well, that's really interesting. And after ordering, she said, you know, I haven't seen you here before. And he said, well, it's my first time, but hey, I'd love to hear about this poem. What's it about? And she told Ted that it was about a woman whose life had been ruined and a man who is pining for her affection. She read him the first stanza of it. You don't want to marry me, honey, though just to hear you ask me is sweet. If you did, you'd regret it tomorrow, for I'm only a girl from the street. Time was when I'd gladly have listened before I was tainted with shame, but it wouldn't be fair to you, honey. Men laugh when they mention my name. Ted was bothered by this. He thought about how sad her words were. And so Ted just decided, you know what, I'm going to come back often and, and talk to this young woman. He was a single guy. She was a pretty lady. He thought, you know, perhaps she's my future bride one day. So he showed back up often and he would ask her, would you read me more of your poem? So she read him some more. Don't spring that old gag of reforming. A girl hardly ever goes back. Too many are eager and waiting to guide her off of the track. A man can break every commandment and the world would still lend them a hand. Yet a girl that was loved but unwisely is an outcast all over the land. Ted wanted to grab her hand and comfort her. Didn't nearly know her really well. But he would come by every day, three months straight, to listen to this young woman's poems. And then after three months, he came in one day and she wasn't there. Instead, this lady named Edna was in her place. And he said, where is she? And she said, oh, she's not here anymore. She left and said she wouldn't ever come back, that she had met the love of her life and was gone. Needless to say, Ted's heart sank. After working for the mail company for some time as a postman, he became a sheriff in Dallas. Uh, He was contacted by a group as they were looking for a bank robber. They were staking out and waiting, and as this Ford came around the corner, he and the guys jumped out and shot this Ford full of bullets. Ted walked up on the car, and he noticed the man was behind the wheel, that it was him. They had killed the right man. And then he looked in the seat next to this notorious bank robber, and there was a tiny woman with blonde hair and blue eyes, And Ted knew her from the diner. His heart broke. But everybody else was celebrating for they had shot the man who had killed 12 police officers and robbed many banks. 
It reminded Ted of the last time he had heard the diner girl share from her last words of that poem. You see how it is, don't you, honey? I'd marry you if I could. I'd go back to, with you to the country, but I know it wouldn't do any good for I'm only a poor-branded woman and I can't get away from the past. Goodbye and God bless you for asking, but I'll stick it out now till the last. For many of y'all, y'all don't know the name Ted Hinton. He'll go down in our history books, but he's not really well known about anything. And maybe many of you have never read the poem before, The Street Girl. But I bet you know who the author was. She was a waitress who left the diner to join one of the most notorious gangs in history. And her name was Bonnie Parker. Yeah, of Bonnie and Clyde. Ted Hinton went on to be a great man in history. But we'll always have to think back of the woman who could have changed her stripes. A woman who would die there in 1934 on a street in Louisiana who couldn't see herself out of her life. You know, we pick up in the Bible with the story of Elisha with a bunch of people that just couldn't see their way out. You ever felt that way? Like you've just gone too far and your story is way too big for God to heal you, for God to love you, for God to save you? That maybe you would write a story a lot like Bonnie's and just simply say, it's the best I can do, it's the best I can offer. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 2, we pick up again with Elisha. Now, I want you to just notice a parallel. For those of you that are Bible scholars, you'll pick up that Elijah, the guy that came before Elisha, his ministry starts by closing up the heavens with water. You remember this? Praise that it wouldn't rain and it doesn't. And then we get Elijah's ministry in 2 Kings chapter 2, starting with the 19th verse. It says this, The men of the city said to Elisha, My Lord, can you see that even though the city's location is good, the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful? Here, pride, bring me a, a new bowl and put salt in it. And after they had brought him one, Elijah went out to the spring, threw salt in it, and said, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. No longer will death or unfruitfulness result from it. Therefore, the water still remains healthy today, according to the word that Elijah spoke. This may seem so untrivial, or just kind of completely trivial to you, that today we're talking about a land that was had bad water and it was unfruitful, and Elijah gets a salt bowl, throws it in the spring, goes, hey, we're good, everybody, drink the water. Until you're around somewhere that the water's bad. Until you're somewhere that you can't drink the water. And that you start to see that everywhere around bad water dies. I think they still say that there's some like 50% of inhabitable land that has unclean drinking water. But people live there. The land is desolate, it's dusty, it's nasty. But there's ministries all over that are going to these places and drilling water wells. They're going down to a depth and pulling fresh water. People that have gone to these places to pull water for their families that looks brown and murky and has things in it. And they drink this water and they cook in that water. Are now going to these places 
faucets in their tribes and in their towns and getting clean water. All because people were willing to sacrifice time and money to go and do. See, Elijah didn't have the water well moments. He, he couldn't drill anything. He's walking amongst this moment, if you will, that he's just kind of taken the mantle from Elijah and he's like, here we go. Let's start some ministry. And they go, hey, by the way, land's pretty cool, right? <laughs> but nothing can grow here and there is no water. And why is it that Elijah just goes, hmm, okay, new bowl, bring some salt? Because that makes no sense. And I want you to capture something for a moment that God does that we don't perceive. When you and I try and fix us, we'll break ourselves. It's just what happens. When you and I try our best to make our own stripes fix, we're going to find ourselves in a terrible moment. And we're living in a culture where everything is just called bad. And what our world calls bad, God calls death. He calls it death. We're patting ourselves on the back of bad, and God's saying, no, that's death. I can promise you the reason that people knew that the water was bad was because they drank it and they saw the results of it. The reason things were unfruitful is this water was so bad that even the plants died because of it. And in walks the prophet. And let's just remind ourselves in Scripture, he hasn't had a lot of time at this. He's just walked with Elijah and seen what Elijah's done. He has this connection with God. And we see it that as part of what Elijah asks for is this. If I can see Elijah being taken away, would you give me a double portion of what you gave him? And God does. And so in this moment, I just want you to think of how many things they've tried to fix this. I mean, let's just be honest. There's men in this tribe. They've tried to fix it. That's what we do. And nothing's worked. And so here they are asking the prophet, what do we do? You know what we would say? Move. If the water's bad and you can't grow crops, move. Why are you staying here? Go somewhere else. And Elisha says, bring me a bowl of salt. And listen, if that was the fix, let's just be real in the room. We'd have gone, really? A bowl of salt? That's what that took? I'm not drinking that water. But Elisha goes, it's done. Everything's going to change now. Because I think that they finally got it right. They quit trying to fix it. And they turned to God. When God fixes something, it changes things. And so many of us in our lives are trying to find patches for things that are wrong in our lives. Relationships that have gone bad. Money that's gone bad. Time that's gone by too fast. Listen, that's the world I live in. Any of y'all in that world that time is just going by super fast? Like, I can remember bringing my firstborn home, my daughter, 
and holding her in my arms. I can't hold my daughter anymore. Her legs go just as far as mine do. That's not as fun. And so time is going by. Everything is shifting, and we're trying to fix it any way that we can, and we quit going to God for it. And if anything in a story we can catch, it's this. You can try and fix what's going on in your life, and you'll only find that as time goes on with the fixes you've tried to do, the water will be ungood, and you'll become unfruitful. And as the church, there's a huge lesson that we need to learn. And it's this. As the church, we must stop drinking unfruitful water. We've got to quit going to the things that aren't God. How do you know, Kyle? How do you know if you're not doing it right? You stay in his word. Stay in his word. I, 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 bet I could say that every Sunday. And y'all could grow really tired of it, and that's okay with me, but... How do we know that we're in God's will? How do we know that, he's, that it's really God's voice and not ours? How do we really test if our friends are telling us the right things? God's word. You got to test things against it. Because it is the fruitful water. I learned something terrible the other day. Did you know that when you go to swim in the community pool, that your eyes don't burn because of the chlorine? Chlorine doesn't burn your eyes. You know why your eyes burn? Your friends pee in the pool. That's a true story. Did you know that the water that you shower with in Amarillo has chlorine in it? The water you drink from your tap, that you make tea out of, Kool-Aid, whatever you make at your house, has chlorine in it? It has such a finite amount to clarify our water that it's not harmful for you. So when you go swimming and you swim in the chlorine, the reason that the lifeguards have you get out and they test with those little strips is this. They have to offset your friends. And so they do things like shock the pool. They use little tablets they throw in. And that's to delete your friends from the pool. Two things we can learn from this lesson today. Let God fix your stuff and wear goggles at the pool. And teach your children not to drink pool water. That is disgusting. But listen, the reason that we don't capture what God is trying to tell us is this. We're wading into the wrong pools and we're drinking the water. And we don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, it's just like my water from home, isn't it? Only to discover that anything that has God plus something is wrong for your diet. It's God exclusive. That's why we need the word in our lives. We have to have it. And as a Christian, you have to live on it. Because anything else you live on outside of God's word will make you unfruitful. We have a huge dangerous world we live in now. Where the internet has become our Bible and our news. And they can lie as much as they want on the internet, and we believe it. Test it against God's word. Everything. Everything. Don't form a theology. Don't form a belief system unless you dive into the word. I'm going to brag on something for a minute because I've learned this about myself. Um, this past season, I've got to teach the junior class at Sanjak the Bible. 
And I came in at a time that really their previous teachers were much better than I was at it. Uh, that environment's just way too awesome. I, I enjoy my students. They're a lot of fun. Um, next year's class at San Jack's going to be off the charts. But I got to sit in that class and hear from the students as we walked through things like um, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, um, salvation. And we just kind of walked through this book by Packard called Knowing God. Great book. As we were going through it, I, I told my students, hey, at the end of this, you get to write a paper for me of 10 beliefs that you have with Bible sources. Doesn't have to be long. I just need a belief and where you find it in the Bible. I asked them for 10. I bet I had this conversation with at least about six or seven students. How do I narrow it down to 10? And so right where you are, I just want you to think off the top of your head. If you had to write that paper for me. If that was what you had to do between now and next Sunday to come in here to worship. What 10 beliefs would you carry on? What would you narrow it down to? And I've been reading their papers. And as I've been reading, I've been hearing some amazing thoughts from these juniors that have had all this put into their lives as time has gone on from the school and from going to church and from Christian homes. And I was reading one in particular that I thought was really interesting. And it was this. Even women were created in God's image. That was a belief of one of my students. And I thought, that's a great belief to have. Backed it up with scripture, by the way. Thought that was pretty awesome. And I sat there and thought, how many beliefs could we write right now off the top of our head, but could we find them in the Bible? Because that was the second challenge of that paper, was not just that we have beliefs, because we do. We could probably come up with 100 right here in the room. But could we back them up with Scripture? Are we going to God for what we want to be, or are we just becoming what we want to be and hoping that God's okay with it? Because while this land was unfruitful in Elijah's day, they still use the water. They're still drinking it. They're still using it. The land was still unfruitful and they just kept living there. When is it that the church quits drinking that water and starts to go, we choose not to live in unfruitful lands? Doesn't mean you have to leave Amarillo. Amarillo is plenty fruitful. Doesn't mean our water's bad. Amarillo's water is plenty good. But we're not talking about the physical stuff. Let's talk spiritual for a second. How do we know that we're living unfruitful? If the statistics are right, one out of every 10 people that actively claims Jesus as Savior will share their faith in a lifetime. One of 10. So do me a favor. Just look around the section you're sitting in. Give it a look. Look at the people around you. Hey, how are you? How are you? Which means this. If you're not actively sharing your faith, you got to hope that one of the at least nine around you are. Or we could start to live in a land with good water that's fruitful and turn our lives over to God. Because there's always a Bonnie Parker at a diner. She's there today, writing a poem, 
saying how she can't change. And there we are, the Teds of her life, waiting for the next stanza of her poem. If the scriptures are true, there's a portion once a person to be born, then death, then judgment. We all have something in common. We were born, we will die, and we will face God. If that's truth, then it matters that conversation you have at the diner. If it's truth, it matters that today you know Jesus because somebody shared Jesus with you. What also matters is this. Do me a big favor. Let's just do it in the room together. I want you to do one of those audible, deep breath moments together. You ready? On count of three. One, two, three. If you have breath in your lungs, there's somebody that needs to hear Jesus from you. Because there's always a Bonnie Parker. So the last thing is this. What we see from this moment is that Elijah doesn't just say it's done. He says this in verse 21. Elijah went out to the spring and threw salt in it and said, this is what the Lord says. I've healed this water. No longer will death or unfruitfulness result from it. And look at verse 22. Therefore, the water still remains healthy today according to the word that Elijah said. This water was death water. It's where death lived. When water's dead, it doesn't mean that nothing's in it. It just means that it's death for you. And I don't know if you've ever seen this water. I saw it on the streets of Anapra, Mexico. It ran down the streets. It had things in it. It was death. And the children played in it. The water they drank came in trucks that came into the city and would pour it in a stock tank and people would get it as long as it was there, but it ran out quickly. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen, what death really looked like. But I know what it looks like. It looks like a people who have been given the water that doesn't run out. That once it's applied to somebody's life, it runs over. It springs, wells up within them. It's what it looks like when someone comes to know Christ and he infuses them with himself. He has to come out. He can't stay silent. You know what I think death looks like? It looks like when a church who says they're passionate about Jesus never talks about him ever. That's where death lives. Death lives in the pews of people who don't see that Jesus is worth talking about. It will not live here. It will not live in your pew. It will not stay any longer. It is time for us to declare Jesus is so good and so powerful in our lives that we cannot stay silent. We have to do something about it. We cannot sit idly by and allow people to go to broken death cisterns. We cannot abide by places that are unfruitful anymore. You and I must be so full of him 
that it can't help but change us because what God changes never goes back, ever. There is no go backs with God. He infects our lives and changes us. And so let me ask you a question today. Whose side of the story will you live in today? Will you live in the people that are stuck in the broken water area with unfruitfulness? Will you stay there and live a life that is far away from God? Because I told you, we all have one thing in common. We have breath, so we had life. We will end our lives because it will be taken. And at some point, we will come before a holy God. And because of that, there's an unfortunate moment that we must identify. If we do not know Christ, there is no other way to God. It's impossible. Either the Bible is truth or we should abandon it. And I believe with all of my heart, it is absolute truth. So because of that, you and I have to deal with that truth. Will we follow Jesus with our lives? And what's more is this. If today you don't know him as Savior and Lord, do not wait. Don't leave this room without knowing Jesus as the Savior of your soul, the forgiver of your sins, and the Lord of your life. Do not leave here without that.